Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Equality in Business podcast, our podcast to create awareness about the equality in business world by actively engaging students about relevant topics to prepare them for entering the professional world. My name is Vicente Sural, and I am a third-year business administration student at Catholic Lisbon. In today's episode, we will talk about the film industry and how inequalities are still a theme, and about one of the most important and recognizable awards in the whole world, the Oscars. I have the pleasure to be here today with someone that I, as an avid cinephile, have been following for, uh, I don't know, five years or so. Uh, he is Rui Pedro Tendinha, uh, surely a familiar name among some of our Portuguese listeners. Since the 90s, he has been working as a cinema critic, having collaborated with numerous magazines and newspapers, such as Diário de Notícias and the TV channel SIC Radical. Hello, Rui. You are also a member of, of the International Federation of, of Film Critics and have already interviewed celebrities such as Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, Woody Allen, George Clooney, among a lot of others. As you can see, I did my homework. A very warm welcome to you and thank you for being here with us today. It's a pleasure. Uh, let's get started. What makes a great movie? I think uh, a great movie is something that touches the deep... Uh, soul of each one of us. I think that's what really elevates you as a human being, not just as an spectator or like a, an audience member. Uh, the, the, the best films are the one you forget that you are an audience member and you feel a part of, of the interaction that the film creates. And uh, as an artistic endeavor that I think um, aims to be larger than life, th those are the, the films that they have something that it's something we can say greatness which is very rare I'm afraid I think uh, the the actual state of the of the arts and cinema uh, I think we, we have a lot of formulas many maybe too many and for for that we can see a true a truly masterpiece we have to <laughs> to really struggle because it's really hard to find nowadays a film that really uh, as that uh, level that I, I was saying of greatness, because in my opinion, the the majority of films are very uh, competent, and th that word competent is not really a praise. <laughs> it's something that uh, the industry made, uh, especially if if you think about formulas, made to the films to be well made, very as you say, can achieve the, their goals in terms of commercial and even artistic. Uh, endeavor, but th that lacks something that it's it's made uh, uh, about something that we cannot see the invisible, which is the greatness. But the greatness is something that uh, uh, it's made with uh, the pure uh, recipe of the the best art, which is really hard to to say uh, how it works. It's something that it's it's uh, like a alchemist potion or something, and. I'm afraid that nowadays films have great teams, they have technical uh, achievements all over them, but most of them lack something that it's extra. And that's why I'm saying uh, to, to, to find a film that touches you, it has to be a lot of uh, uh, factors. And sometimes it has to do with you as an audience member. The way you see the film, the timing you see the film. That's why 
uh, it depends. And I'm all for it when I hear saying some guys, some people uh, say, I, I, I really enjoyed this film 10 years ago. It, it, it has to do with that, with the symphony of your person, of, the, of the, the audience member in terms of his, his time in life. And, and how he sees the film, if it's in a movie theater, if it's in a, in a screen of a computer or something. So that thing is also very important to appreciate and to acknowledge the art of a film. All this idea of all this universe of cinema is here in Full Metal Jacket, it's all there. And it's really something of a pleasure. Uh, and we can see uh, how cinema could, could tackle so many issues. Uh, with uh, an, uh, a brilliant artistic uh, skills and Full, full Metal Jacket it's, it's um, one of the biggest uh, also influences in terms of style and, and rigor and, and craftery that I can always find when they ask me what is the film that it's all, all everything there I think Full Metal Jacket has it all yeah yeah I totally agree yeah I mean Kubrick is one of the legends of the cinema, like yeah. uh, the guy that everybody knows and that everybody admires. Uh, they they could have watched Clockwork Orange or uh, 2001, uh, Space Odyssey, any movie. <laughs> if it's that category of a great movie, I personally love uh, Barry Lyndon. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, and just a warning to our uh, to those uh, who are listening to us. Uh, that uh, while that hard is a pretty <laughs> strange movie, so <laughs> don't go, go, trust... go with caution. Go with caution. <laughs> yeah, don't trust representing his words <laughs> too much on that because it's really a strange movie. Uh, but a recommended one, of course. Um, and what if I ask you about last year? What were your favorite movies of 2020? Yeah, it was a not typical year, very weird year because of also some of the films that we were expecting didn't came because of the COVID situation. So it was not uh, one of the best years, like say, but still we, we could find some great movies. I would say definitely uh, the Roman Polanski film, Jacuzzi, which is like a new instant classic. It's kind of a temporal movie, it could be made in the 70s or 80s because it's it's made with its accuracy and style and elegance. And it's a film that deals with something nowadays. It's really important. It's the, 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 the honor of each one. Uh, you know, it's about the guy who's been wrongly accused in a, in a world. Uh, it, it's not nowadays. It's, it's the opposite. It's the, it's the beginning of the last century in France. But it, it deals with uh, misconception and free ideas of of if you're uh, guilty or not in a process, which is really tough film to see, but it's really made with such a brilliancy by Roman Polanski and, and especially his spanache with the camera. And of course, I also really enjoyed Tenet, which is like a, a, a proof that the blockbuster can have some really interesting uh, themes that about uh, about your own perception of reality and cinema can be a place to ask questions about who we are or what kind of uh, doppelhangers can we have. And, and I think uh, Christopher Nolan, he did a film that's not so much loved because a lot of people didn't like Tenet. And that's what I really love about Tenet. It's not an easy film. It's a film for haters <laughs> in some way, but I really enjoyed the, the, 
the way he does a big spectacle like like this is a blockbuster full of special effects big action sequence but at the same time it's about interior dramas of people who are um uh, like placed in a in, in a in a role that they cannot figure and that's really interesting i think it's a film that will gain some 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 importance over the years so let's see in 20 years or so how tenant will be perceived and of course i i have also a really soft spot for little women by greta gurry which opened uh, january last year so it really has to do with 2020 it's a film uh, uh, that it gives a new twist to the uh, the literally period adaptation and what she does greta gurry uh, she kind of uh, uh, stretches, stretches with uh, the the time continuity, with flashbacks and and moving forward and and also uh, thinking about what is the the narrative, the the, the typical uh, beginning, uh, middle and ending. And what she does, it's like she 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 does a big uh, turnover of all, all these things and. I think Little Women is an avant-garde film disguised as a studio film. Yeah, yeah, I agree with with what you said. Uh, you mentioned three great three great films, uh, Jacuz, that is about um, the the Dreyfus case, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. which was yeah. uh, it's very interesting. I haven't watched that one yet, although I I like uh, Roman Polanski, although he's very controversial. I like yeah. um, what he did uh, in the with films, right, uh, it's, it's directing efforts. Um, but yeah, the Dreyfus case is very actual, uh, is very uh, important uh, because it talks about uh, the anti-Semitic, uh, a lot about anti-Semitic stuff about, um, it's very interesting. Uh, then of course, Tenet, uh, as you said, I agree with you, it's a film made for haters <laughs> because <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of people that don't like uh, Christopher Nolan and he just gave a better reason for them to hate him because it's a very complex film, a very strange film and Little Women, a classic, but not so classic in the way yeah. that... Yeah, and Greta Gerwig is, is an inspiration. It's one of the most influential uh, female directors right now, yeah. I'd say. And she opened a lot of doors for, um, for other young uh, female filmmakers to, to proceed and she is really like someone if you're going to do some history in some years from now she will be very important she will be a name to to study because she started like a screenwriter for her, her companion noah baumbach and then she she tried it there her own way and she's really important because the way she she films and the the way she directs i think it incorporates a very strong female voice that american cinema really needed yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, well, as you said, this year will be very interesting because the pandemic completely turned the film industry upside down. Um, yeah. And you can see that through the Oscar nominations that are more diverse than ever and minorities are being uh, very well represented. Uh, so um, how did this happen? Uh, do you think that this will have a long-term impact or it's just an exceptional year? We still will be having this effect like for the next year, I think. So it will last a little bit more than we expected. Because uh, what is now on the table is that the 
of Cannes Film Festival, which is going to be like the first big festival after the big crisis of COVID, it's still on risk. So, and then there would be there would be opening films like the French Dispatch by Wes Anderson and some other big films that we were expecting. But if the Cannes Film Festival is postponed or even cancelled, I think we're still going to struggle to see some of the big films that we are expecting. So it's important that the Cannes Film Festival happens. But still, I think we, we, the, the the situation will still dominate the way we, we the way no the, the the calendar of the films, but uh, it's not going to be a hundred percent uh, the best year to see all the films because then will be too many movies and there will be shiftings and there will be the decisions, and um, it's it's still not the normal year to uh, 2021. So I think now we we seeing the Oscars is so full of films that would otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be there like. Sound of Matter, which was a film that I've seen in 2019. So I think that th that's uh, the, the problem of the, the pandemic, I think will still reflect on what we're gonna see uh, this year. So 2021 was not just an exceptional year. It was the first year of, the, of, the, of this uh, exceptional time. So, and now we have the Oscars and uh, we are about to see the ceremony and let's see what happens because uh, it would be interesting to see if uh, a film like Nomadland, which is the favorite, if, if it doesn't win, I think it will, but if it doesn't win, it could be like um, a showcase that uh, things are really messed up with all this situation, because this is the film to, to beat for, because it's the natural favorite, you know? It's not my favorite in terms of personal taste, then what but, is your favorite? <laughs> it's a film that is not nominated to to the best film. <laughs> it's only the best direction, which is uh, Druk, the Danish film, by another round by Thomas Winterberg. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is only nominated. Uh, it's not only only. Uh, it's not a good word, but it's nominated uh, surprisingly for best directing. Uh, it's a foreign film, but I think we can talk about the importance of foreign films in Academy in the Hollywood Academy nowadays, because after Parasite, I think th things really change the perception and the way the Academy is trying to put it, the Oscars more international, especially inviting people from all over the world to be part of the, the, the Academy. We, in Portugal, we have Luis Urbano, which is a producer, he's a member of the Academy. So that's, that's a, a sign of change. And, and these new people that are now voting for the Academy, they're really, changing the mentality and uh, of course this idea of putting films like a Danish film or or even a Parasite which is a Korean film uh, competing for uh, with American films I think it's really interesting and and of, of course it can create in, in two or three years a, um, a reaction in, in America because maybe uh, the the more conservative part of uh, Hollywood we try to come up with um, some kind of defense because uh, you know what, what could happen in some years is that we can have just like two or three uh, American films competing for our best film. Because of course, as you know, world cinema, it's, it's getting very inter interesting. And a film like Druk, the Danish film, is produced um, with money from also France and, and uh, other European countries. So what it can create is that we can have like a, 
a, a, a big fight within the Hollywood independent films and big European films or Asian uh, good films with the authors. And that can create a level of, um, of, of fighting that it could be interesting because it changed the, the way the films are are nominated and even for the awards but uh, also the all all the per perception what it is is international film and of course what i predict is that uh, american uh, producers are are going to start to produce uh, more european more asian films a film by uh, uh, angli uh, what, what it can happen now it could be a film uh, spoken mandarin uh, because Angli also did that with Last Cushion, and I think he, he, the tendency is to do it's to happen more, to, more and more. Yeah, 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 and we hope that happens because it's really an interesting scenario for for cinema, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, but, I witnessed. Sorry. Yeah, but at the same time, like I was saying, they can have come up with a, a defense plan that. They can change the rules and maybe only a percentage of non-American films could be proposed. I think because, because they have to assure that it's still an American thing. And of course, they can be afraid and in some years they can retract this idea of putting more international. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we saw, I mean, uh, there are a lot of examples. Uh, even the Parasites director uh, earlier efforts, for example, Memories of Murder, which is a very good film, and nobody even cared that it existed, at least at the Oscars. Uh, I mean, Agnes Varda, which is another strong example, had a lot of very interesting stuff and was nominated for one Oscar only. And uh, even if, if we go back to earlier times, to the Cold War, we have Tarkovsky, we have Fellini, a lot of very good, very important filmmakers. Uh, that were always snubbed by the Oscars. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea now is to see if they want to to open, really open, or if they just want to have an uh, like a, a open sign. You know, uh, one thing is really open. One thing is to say yes, we want, but it's not going to be totally. Because in a way, if they don't preserve the American cinema, what can happen is that. Uh, Oscars will compete with uh, festivals. I don't know if that's the natural course of things because otherwise Cannes, Venice or even Berlin from festivals, uh, they, they can be in a, in a tough position because they're not going to be the only ones who can uh, praise and promote the big or the best European or best world cinema. And that could be interesting thing. But as I was saying, I think the, in three, four years, uh, the Academy will have to, if this goes really strong with the uh, Danish, Korean or whatever, international films competing for the best best films, I think they'll have to come up with a solution that they have to create quotas, <laughs> otherwise we can have this problem of more international films uh, opposite of Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, even, even that category that we were talking about, uh, it used to be called yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, great answer, by the way. And I think that it's a bit of that. For example, I watched uh, Fellini's La Dolce Vita, which I consider to be one of my favorite movies, when I was in a in a, in a perfect predisposition for watching it. So maybe that's what caused my reaction. I, I'd say that 
99% of the days if I had watched that film with a different predisposition I wouldn't have liked it so much and this yeah. happens a lot and I've I've learned to recognize when I'm impacted by that or not so it's it's a really a great thing that I never uh, heard anyone say it before but it's really true um, well moving on um, I'm actually uh, really curious about uh, what you really like to watch uh, I believe that it must be very hard to choose three or four favorite movies when you have already watched thousands of them. Uh, but that is precisely what I want to ask you today. So what are the three movies that you hold closer to your heart? Yeah, a lot of people ask me uh, these questions. And, um, and, and, and of course, uh, uh, what I think is it's, it's always a mutation because... Uh, I have a lot of films, like uh, maybe a dozen of films that I always can say one of them is the movie of my life. But I always also like to shift, you know, and it depends on the moment. So right now, what is the film that I would love to re to to see it again? Maybe that's the best thing that you can answer. You can ask me, and then I would say as an impulse, and and beware, I didn't <laughs> study. Uh, what I was going to say today about these uh, movies that I hold closer to my heart. So now when I hear this challenge and this question, I, I go for the, my gut, for my, my impulse, my feelings right now, what I would like to see it again as a masterpiece, as a film that really touched me. And some of the titles go to my head. And for instance, I would love to mention E.T., The Extraterrestrial by Steven Spielberg, because that was a film that, Encapsulates, uh, encapsulate in itself the idea of childhood, and and for me it's quite important because I think cinema is a place that we can go back to our childhood, and and to our fears of growing up, even when we are an ad adult. That's why for me it's always a reference this this motion picture by Steven Spielberg, and and the memories that 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 screening the first time I've seen it brings to me it's quite magical uh something that the power of cinema really stuck on me it was one of the films that really influenced me as a cinephile and of course also wild at heart the the masterpiece from david lynch with some it's the guy that i always follow even through uh, uh, apart from movies because he's a, a completely and truly artist a visual total artist and and here, Mr. Lynch did something that it really uh, also includes and reflects upon uh, nightmare and dream. So it's a miracle trip, which also evokes the Wizard of Oz in a modern, violent and rock and roll fashion. So it's a film that really uh, helped me to understand transgression. The, the danger, or if you prefer danger, the notion of danger in cinema. And of course, now I also, when people ask me, one of the movies that affected you mostly, also Full Metal Jacket by Stanley Kubrick, which is one for me, I consider one of the gods, uh, one of the gods of cinema. He's, uh, he's a master and foreign. Best foreign language, yeah. yeah, and they changed it like two years ago for best international, but... Uh, I mean, do, do you think that that category is even necessary? Like, if hypothetically we took it out, would the best international films be considered uh, in, in the other awards or it wouldn't change anything? What's your take on that? 
this category is, is always going to happen because it's a way they can secure that the uh, English language in international films it surpass. Otherwise, you know, we can have Portuguese films by Pedro Costa speaking in English and, and then it's not a good idea. I think uh, it's, it's a dangerous temptation. Uh, so it's really important that the films also could be uh, in, in foreign language. I know now it's called international, but uh, the rules are still applied to be uh, spoken majority of the of their uh, length in in English in non-English language. That's why listen a film by uh, a Portuguese filmmaker Ana Rocha was was uh, taken out of the of the equation because it was uh, more a little bit more in English and sadly. That was the, the the reason that it was excluded by the academy, and in a way, I think it's cruel, but it's in the defense because otherwise, to be more appealing, we can have like Spanish, like Italian filmmakers starting to put English, and that's not good for their for their own sake and for their each of their their uh, culture and language. We still have to do uh, in Portugal. Portuguese cinema speaking in Portuguese. Otherwise, this could be very, very uh, promiscuous. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, you mentioned, for example, uh, you already mentioned uh, Chloe Zhao uh, for, with, for, from Nomadland. You mentioned Greta Gerwig. Greta was, was actually nominated for, for a, an Oscar in directing last year. And it's interesting, another, another interesting thing, switching a bit the topic. Uh, we only had five female directors nominated in history for for directing awards, and um, only one has won. And this year, suddenly, we have two. So yeah, it's not just the the, the two that they are nominated for directing. It's a, it's a good year for women because the uh, foreign films, uh, some of them are uh, directed by female directors. It was shorts, the same thing. Documentary, I think. My prediction is that uh, Pipa, uh, the South African female director, is going to win with uh, my uh, Octopus Teacher, the best documentary. That's my prediction. I think this film is going to really do well at, at the Academy Awards. And uh, also in other categories, we still have, um, like I said, documentary. There's also female di directors uh, there. And then also in short films, in animation as well, it's a good year for female directors. Yeah, and do you think that the times are changing once and for all regarding that? Because uh... yeah, yeah, I think definitely this is a good sign. It's not just one time off. Of course, Me Too thing uh, and Times Up really helped to for this uh, change of mentality. And of course, the the thing I also mentioned uh, early on about uh, new people coming to with new ideas coming to the academy. And even Portuguese members of the academy, that, that's a way that really can make this change really not just one time out. So I do, I really convinced that this, this goes on and on. Next year, it's going to be the same thing. And, and the mentality is changing also with studios that are green lighting films directed by women. Actually, next year, uh, 2022 it's going to be a very strong year for filmmakers uh, yeah, uh, female filmmakers uh, i know from claire denis to olivia wilde next uh, award season it's going to be full of uh, films directed by women 
So we are living in the good times in terms of equality uh, in American cinema or mainstream international cinema. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. Um, Jessica Chastain, Juliette Binoche, uh, Diane Kruger, she, they, they made a pact and they are going to produce, they already did one film called The, Three, the 365, it's an action film actually, but uh, what they're going to start doing uh, very um, a lot of times is that they're producing films uh, that uh, the concept is that women are going to be a major force in terms of directing, producing, acting, and even technically uh, the, the, this film crews are going to be um, full of women for, for getting the equality. And of course, about the wages, the equality of the uh, of the the paycheck is going to be, uh, they are really working and struggling for that because it was a shame that uh, why in a, a romantic comedy the guy has to have a big paycheck than her, you know, that was really something that was really uh, stupid in a way, ignorant and unfair. So I think there's going to be a really, sh uh, things are shifting in, in the correct way. The only thing that I really strongly uh, recommend not to implement is it's some rules that the Academy are trying to, to pass that uh, have to have quotes in the, of uh, gender uh, in the film crew. When it's obligation in terms of fighting for the Oscars, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that because it's really, it's not the, how they, uh, how the things could be changed. Because in my opinion, if you're gonna stuck with rules like that, and and Spike Lee already said it's that's nonsense because you cannot do a film uh, thinking that I have to hire a group uh, member of the crew that's a girl. <laughs> or it's or think I, I I have too many guys on my crew. I have to hire uh, females. That's really wrong because then the quality of the artistic project is compromised. So I think uh, Academy with these new rules of uh, equality can also uh, you know harm the quality of the films because then we can have films that are, cannot be nominated because. There was an investigation and after all, it was more guys than women. That's not good and it's a little bit fascist in, in a way. I know it's for a good intention, but the art cannot comply with uh, these obligations of equality of sexes uh, in a film crew. I think it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. And I don't know if you were already an R-rated podcast, but if we weren't, and uh, now we are going to be, <laughs> but but still, I think that well, what you said it's it's really important, and you said a good word that it that is uh, ignorance, yeah. Uh, and to have these sort of rules nowadays, I guess uh, it also complies with that ignorance because I mean um, a lot of uh, women have struggled so much in a lot of in a lot of areas uh, that were male dominated. Um, uh, that nowadays it's it I can find any justification for for uh, the paychecks being different or for uh, women being still and more of an underground force than um, than a mainstream force in cinema for example you had you you talked about a lot of them i mentioned uh, Agnes Varda which is my personal favorite it's <laughs> really impressive uh, you have uh, Claire Denis a great director but that's 
that never became too well known uh, within um, mainstream cinema. Uh, I, the, the most important example that comes to my mind is Greta Gary that is really making a path of her own and a very impressive one actually. But uh, it has always been a struggle. So it's, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that. Yeah, but the, the, this struggle, if, if these rules, this rules that I do think are exa exaggerated, uh, are can be okay. Refrain. I think the the process will be organic because after Goethe it comes now. Chloe Zhao. After Chloe Zhao, maybe Olivia Wilde. She's gonna be one of the next big film female filmmakers, and and that's go on and on. So we have to create a routine of. Uh, giving women filmmakers the opportunity of do the best projects and to give to give them green light to their own projects uh, that's the key not the other thing that we were talking uh, that the press the percentage of of uh, numbers uh, in a film crew that's that's really not a good service to the heart of filmmaking yeah i agree i agree we can we can achieve that through meritocracy uh, i yeah. mean Give the best, give the best work to the best people uh, working, um, and of course uh, we are all humans, so uh, there should be no distinction whatsoever, and the ones that still are there uh, shouldn't exist. So uh, regarding that, which movies that tackle equality would you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, that these films could be really examples, uh, and uh, in a way, I think. Uh, some of films that were made not re recent, but if you go back and now it's easy with platforms to to search for examples of cinema that could be a good uh, uh, example of tackle equality uh, fighting. I think we, we we can go back to the past to see that there was exceptions back when it was not so easy to tackle these uh, these issues, and then we can. Uh, Make see them again and see that these examples should be repeated. Like a film like Sorry to Bother by Boots Riley, I think is, is a film that talks about the problems of race and discrimination uh, very entertainingly. But yeah, some... about the voice, right? About yeah. <laughs> he had to, he was a salesman that had to yeah. do a, a, a white man's voice. He was yeah. a black man, he had to do a white man's that, voice. That's a good to be, example yeah, to sell. It was very interesting. That's a good example, and it's a film that should have been more celebrated because it's an excellent film. But I do recommend a film which is was put it in Netflix not long ago called Perfect Strangers, which is by Tra Traven Free and Martin Desmond Rowe, Afro-American filmmakers, and it's a short film actually, and it's nominated for best short film, live short film at. This year's Oscars, and it's a great film about to, uh, the effects of the George Floyd uh, tragedy in uh, Afro-American uh, community uh, and all the traumas and nightmares that that was that uh, event could create in the mind of an African-American uh, young uh, guy. And Perfect Strangers is a great example of art uh, reflects on the the major. Uh, themes of our society and and, and problems of with, with equality. And by the way, since we are talking about examples, I would love to to ask people to see a Portuguese film called A Outra Margem, The Other Side, by Luis Felipe Rocha, 2007. It's a, a film about uh, prejudice, in this case, a Portuguese prejudice against 
a drag queen in the in, in the middle of uh, of uh, interior of Portugal and all the uh, the misconceptions about uh, what is a drag queen. It's a great film acted by starring Flip uh, Duarte, which is a, a great actor from Portugal that suddenly uh, died last year of a heart attack. And it's a film that I always encourage people to see it because when it opened, people didn't give the, also the, the right praise that the film deserves because it's really a good melodrama uh, that tackles all the, 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 the delicate uh, subjects of, of uh, uh, homophobic and all those issues that here in the Portuguese society special outside the big centers of Lisbon Porto people still have it and and also what we talked back then the ignorance yeah yeah I totally agree uh, and especially about the LGBT community you have a lot of films uh, some that don't get talked about but you have Lawrence anyways which I really like I don't know yeah, if you know it's one of my favorites from Xavier <laughs> <laughs> yeah mine too mine too I really love it and I mean if we if we're going to be serious about it almost uh, every uh, Almodovar movie tackles uh, equality in a way, in a way or another. It's um, my personal favorite is all about my mother, but a lot of them uh, talk about it. So it's just a question of people opening their eyes and wanting to see the those films because there are a lot of options right now. Uh, some of them aren't streaming, but there are a lot of options uh, that are really relevant and interesting. And you see, for example, last year I was remembering. Uh, you had um, I May Destroy You, which was a, a limited series, a very good limited series uh, by um, Michaela Cole. Um, it's 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 amazing because she did everything. It's about uh, she was sexually harassed um, and assaulted, and it's a really uh, interesting mini series about um, her coming to sense to who she is and and about prejudice racial prejudices from uh, equal, uh, gender equality prejudices it's a really interesting miniseries that that was uh, praised by everyone and then in the golden globe season uh, disappeared uh, so yeah. it was a really shocking example yeah for me. But, but but the golden globes problem it's also as to the diversity of the people who vote the all youth foreign press association which as we speak they are trying to to come up with new members. I don't know if it's going to be easy, actually, because uh, there are rules to be part of that association. So you have to live in Los Angeles, you have to show your work as a correspondent, and it's not so easy, especially this year, uh, to people start living in Los Angeles and start working as a film critics or film journalists. Uh, and when I say new people, we, they want uh, people from all over at, uh, other ethnic, ethnicities, apart from being Caucasian. So it's going to be a challenge, but they are trying. I know people in all youth press for association that are really concerned about lack of diversity. And of course, that's why they, they do some silly mistakes that, for example, nominate a film like Music, which is just an unnecessary film. Uh, and then they forget to, to nominate really interesting uh, projects like the one you just mentioned that really had a theme and a, a talent. So I think the, the Golden Globes, it's just really a problem. I think if they don't solve it, I think the Golden Globes could really 
lose their power or their strength, let's say. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And on the other way, uh, you have films that are uh, tailor-made for, for the awards season. You have Oscar-bait films, which is an expression that really defines films that are a perfect fit for the Oscars. Uh, you have this year, The Trial of Chicago 7, but uh, it's not like a perfect Oscar-bait film, but is uh, considerably one. But then you had, for example, in 2019, a Green Book, that was a perfect Oscar-bait film, and, uh, yeah, and got a lot of recognition there. Uh, and, and on the other hand, we, we are watching the rise of indie producers that have less money but still deliver a lot. And then in that category we have, for example, uh, what happened with Moonlight, uh, that won the Oscar for Best Film uh, very unexpectedly because the competition was very fierce. I, I can't choose, still nowadays I can choose between La La Land and Moonlight, I love both. <laughs> and so uh, do you think that our indie movie is getting finally the recognition they deserve? And how, how important is is for the film industry that they have more visibility? Yeah, I think platforms like um, Prime Video and also Netflix and Apple TV now are really helping to, to give the... Uh, um, indie filmmakers and their projects some new space that can really can compete with uh, non-independent films that's why i think in the near future it's going to be easy to find a new new moonlights uh, and and uh, of course the, the tendency is that the, the the indie movies will be more um more well equipped to, to compete especially in the worst season with other kind of movies and that's a good news for independent filmmakers but at the same time, we can ask, what is an independent film? For instance, Nomadland, it has the logo of Fox, you know, it's Fox Searchlight. But I, I, I dare to say, why is not just an independent film? It's, it's made independently. It's a completely artistic freedom for Chloe Zhao. And it's a film that if you could put the logo A24, we could say, okay, it's an independent film. So it's really tricky to say what is an independent film now, even when we have uh, logos of Universal or Warner. Sometimes Warner do uh, go green lights, independent films. It's true. So it really depends. Uh, a film that I really don't like it so much, the Shaka, Shaka King film, Judas and the Black Messiah. I think it has some uh, artistic uh, freedom uh, inside of it. So I think we could say it could be an independent film made with some money, but because it's a history film and it's a period piece. But uh, at the same time, on their car, I, I can see a, a little of, of uh, indie essence. But all this question, what is an independent film, what is uh, not an independent film, it, it's something that we go, we're going to start, we, we're not going to engage it so more often in the, in the, in the next few years. I think um, th this tag is just a tag, independent film. It's something that we will forget it in, in a few years, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, independent when when A twenty four appeared, and for those who don't know, it, who doesn't know it, it's uh, I mean, it was a, a really important uh, independent film that produced, for example, Moonlight, but a lot of other uh, movies that uh, now are well known, but um, they weren't uh, supposed to be well known, but they became well known. So it's an interesting example. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, these things are changing, and independent films are not independent films anymore. Um, or that that trend is going there at least. And but you still can see, for example, uh, one of the 
Pirates of, of the Caribbean, for example, cost $378 million. <laughs> it was the most expensive movie of all time. And on the other hand, Call Me By Your Name, uh, which is a very good indie, or uh, wannabe indie, or as you can yeah, call it, Fox. cost, <laughs> cost $3.5 million. So yeah. our listeners may wonder where does the money go, because uh, with, with Pirates of the Caribbean, I don't believe they paid $300 million to Johnny Depp, for example. No, <laughs> so, but that... But this blockbuster films you mentioned, uh, pirates, and I've I've been in uh, uh, in some as a journalist in, in some of the plateaus in film sets of big films uh, in Hollywood because sometimes they invite press to do some some pieces, and I can see where the money goes because these are really gigantic in the endeavors in terms of productions. They they build cities, they in studios, they it's all it's really many draining to do a film like that you know it's a lot of extras a lot of production design it goes through almost two years sometimes it's really 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 expensive and not just to mention then the post-production part it has to do with uh, you know hundreds of people dozens and dozens of uh, wizards of special effects and and guys who do magic with uh, with computers and that takes really money the films are really getting year by year even most expensive you cannot do an action film with um, with some some scale cheaply it's n never again so where the money goes the money goes to the screen i think i'm still an optimistic although of course the paychecks of the big stars are really too uh, they really it's really, it's all, it's kind of uh, a scandal because they really win a lot of money. But it's the, it's the rules, and you have to, if you want to do business in terms of, of cinema, if you want to, to say, okay, let's try to, to invest in, in cinema, it's really very hard to, to, to succeed because uh, the big ones are the ones who also. Uh, who, who can, for instance, a big film from a studio, if it does money, it's the this money that can also uh, help to a small film to to be greenlighted, and that's the way the business still works. We are in 2021, but it's still how, how it goes because it's really hard to to put out of nothing a small film if it's it's made by a good director and you have some good actors. Still, you need investors because all the film crews with with unions and and the guilds and everything, it's impossible to to do really low cost films in America, for instance. So that's why it's all this system needs also blockbusters. Otherwise, you can never have some some of of the big chunks of money could go to the indie films. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an interesting take because. Well, most people that just watch movies like me and everyone <laughs> that is going to listen, I, I believe, uh, well, they, they don't know the other side of the coin, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's very cruel business, you know, if you, if you have good ideas and you want to help filmmakers in terms of producing it and you could be a, a really a good entre entrepreneur and trying to come up with fine issues to do a film in Hollywood, it's still a nightmare. I know guys who really had, uh, come up with a good solid cinephile uh, ideals and they try to help some films to make that maybe they they did once or twice but then for the third time they they can lose a lot of money and then they say goodbye and they they try to do other things so it's really hard to succeed in the 
in the film business. Uh, of course, uh, some of them you can see like guys like Rodrigo Teixeira, which is a great Brazilian independent film uh, producer that he, he works with James Gray, with with Luca Guadagin, with a lot of good guys. But he, he, he knows if he does two or three films that really lose money, he could be in trouble. That that's that's what it's always about, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the culture financing is another uh, very important topic, uh, not for here today, but it's a very important thing to, to be discussed and to be analyzed. Uh, well, just two more questions to finish. Thank you for, for being here today. It has been amazing. Um, and talking about actors, since uh, you are uh, an expert at interviewing, <laughs> I'm very curious to know who was the personality that you enjoyed interviewing the most? Yeah, for me, it was a pleasure to... Um to interview Jack Nicholson, who was in a very high posh uh, London hotel, and Jack Nicholson, he was, he, he was already, it was not long ago, it was one of his last films, um, and it was really funny, and, but at, at the same time, he, he put all his charisma, because he knew what reporters like me wanted, so he was kind of playing Jack Nicholson for, <laughs> for, for foreign press, and and then, of course, you start to play with the idea. We are here in a very fancy British hotel, the Claridge's, and the goddamn uh, air condition is quite annoying. And then I helped him, and we were, you know, two on our knees <laughs> trying to fix the, the goddamn uh, heating system of, of the hotel. And that was something that always stuck in my mind because that was like a film a sketch, a humor film, uh, humor humorous film moment that was like a gag, a sketch, and I was living that moment, but that was amazing. Of course, I always also enjoyed to talk with Pedro Amadeo because he, he really says everything when he we ask him a question, he, he doesn't hold back, he's, he gives you everything, and it's a pleasure to, to speak with a guy like Pedro because he's all about, you know, movie history, he's a film buff, and it's a great guy, and and uh, we, we, when I talk to him, I try to. I always say, Pedro, vamos a hablar. Uh, well, let's speak uh, in Portuñol, a mixture of Portuguese and, and Spanish, and that works. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, you talked about two people that I deeply admire. Uh, well, Jack Nicholson, uh, in a, in a difficult situation, but still is one of the best actors of all time, if you want to call it like that. And uh, arguably, of course, um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting and um, for the last question I would like um, to ask you uh, what does the future hold for cinema um... I think we, we, we just over the, this conversation we just discussed some uh, uh, some possibilities of how it can grow grows up but I was like I, I started to say a lot of films they, they don't stand out I think we can say this, this correct cinema, which is something that I I am not so keen about it. But uh, I like when cinema takes risks and, and it becomes something more, not not as a, a flow, but as an individual uh, voice. And, and that that distinction I try to to see as an audience member and as a film critic is something that uh, it lacks nowadays. I hope, and now I'm trying to be optimistic that I can be surprised in the next few years something, uh, a good movement of genius. And that word, I emphasize genius, that's what we need right now. Sometimes we, we talk about 
good filmmakers, but they, they lack that spark of genius, you know. We want new Stanley Kubricks, you know. Uh, we want more uh, Paul Thomas Andersons. That's what we need. That's what uh, we should always uh, wait and ask for Safdi brothers to do more films, because we need more, you know. Uh, some guys like uh, those filmmakers are, we need more guys like those, you know. And uh, when I say we need also diversity, okay, it's, it's the system, it's the balance of the system, but still we have, uh, we need distinctive voices. And when we find it, it's maybe it's um, a system of uh, we have to be you have to to be we have to have new curators in studios in in the um, in the production houses like A24 or whatever that they can find and they can find the, the best projects because nowadays the films are really okay and that's a word that's cool they're just okay uh, uh, of course I, like ten years ago I would say that uh, I could find terrible films a lot of times. Now, I don't find terrible films a lot of times, especially in the festival circuit, but I find so-so films a lot of time, which is not good as well. So, a film like sometimes always never, I know, I always forget about this title, that the film was in, in Berlin. Uh, and a film like that, I think it's a great film, and we have to find more films like that. Uh, always, sometimes, never, that's the, the title, and uh, I think we have to uh, to wait to see what's going to happen because it's really incognito. I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, uh, with uh, Netflix controlling all the major forces in the the Marvel films, the the, the superheroes, blockbusters, uh, which is a part of like I was saying that we need those films to give money to the to the industry. But it's it's going to be tough to find um, to find new genius. Uh, I hope uh, more Rodrigo Teixeiras also can happen because those guys know how where are the talents, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And just to finish, I talked about Netflix. Um, it's one of the things that our listeners uh, wanted to hear about. That is, uh, when when I see a Netflix movie, a Netflix produced movie, sometimes it looks. Uh, like it has uh, been treated before and they, like it has the the exact amount of things people like and it only cares about it. You see, it, it looks like it was uh, manufactured uh, and very well thought of and not organic as it should be. Um, isn't it's that true. a reality? It's true, especially more for TV series. But then again uh we can find uh, sometimes hidden in their in their in their program some some gems you know uh, i talked about safety brothers it was there uh, it was there safety brothers film you know yeah the uncut uh, gems it's a uncut very good gems. movie it's a great movie so we we there's still some fountain of freedom in, in the netflix because what sometimes they do they they find a filmmaker like charlie kaufman they say you can do whatever you want you have this budget and also they did that with Martin Scorsese for the Irishman. Irish man. So in a way, uh, it, it's not so terrible what they are trying to do because they're trying to do a mix of all the genres, of all the tendencies and of uh, all the cinema languages. But I do agree with you with the TV series, they have kind of a, a formula. And sometimes we can see that if you see a, a, a TV series like The Serpent, 
it's really typical the way uh, they are doing now and that's cool that maybe it started with uh, the spanish guy who did uh, la casa del papel i think they they created like a, a kind of a style you know in terms of of narrative that it's it's all it has to do with the formula and the way it kind of tries to put you addicted to what's going to happen next and next and next but yeah. uh, i was yeah i was mentioned uh, never really sometimes always the elisa hitman film because that, that's one of the examples especially in portugal that quality uh, films don't have a good uh, exposure because that film uh, won prizes in berlin Ala. it's uh, focus produced which is a universal company it, it could open but people here in portugal didn't really care about the film uh, of course, the film now, it's next weekend, is going to be uh, one of the competitors for the Independent Spirit Awards. But it, it didn't go to the Oscars. So when those small, um, you know, auteur films don't don't go to the mainstream, it's just uh, curiosities for the festival circuit. And that's cruel because that's one of the best films of last year. I also could have mentioned but it's one of my, my favorites, never rally, sometimes, always. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you talk about that. I, I I heard about it when it when it won some prizes. It created some buzz, actually. Yeah, but, but then it didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes they fade out and then never reach our cinemas. And when you talk about Portuguese, I guess, I mean, uh, all across Europe that happens. Um, and it's very sad that, that it happens. Uh, some films that are very good, fade out before before we can get to see them and that's why uh, this is somehow disencouraging um but yeah i mean uh, you gave very good insights thank you thank you for for being here with us today it was a pleasure um and yeah, thank it was, you it was my pleasure and we we still didn't mention and address some of the a lot of things that it's happening in the in the special american cinema because what i think is, uh, uh, is we are going through a period of changing like we said uh, especially with uh, with equality and it's, it's a good moment but let's see if that's not just something trendy you know <laughs> let's hope it's uh, it's something to stay let's really hope that and like filmmakers like kelly Riker cannot be just uh, uh, a cock or a sensation of film circuits and could be really a name that we all people can know her because she's an amazing filmmaker but uh, for instance uh, her last films are very well reviewed everyone likes it like first cow but then they don't make it to the uh, oscars for instance it's another case like that and she's a woman and then you can say oh of course maybe we can uh, maybe there's a problem because uh, is because she's a woman. I don't think so. I I I, I I'm not a pessimist about that. But it I I wonder why. You know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe it can be because she's a woman. I will never know. But, we'll but never still, know. yeah. yeah. Um, well, and let's finish uh, with with a positive tone and hope that um, these films and all art in general gets more recognition. That there can be more equality um, and. Yeah, let's let's pray for that. So thank you, thank you very much for being here today. It was it was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Don't forget to follow Rui Pedro Tendinha on the Instagram under the name Rui Tendinha and his blog cinetendinha.pt. 
always publishing amazing content about cinema. Our next episode will be online the 23rd of April and feel free to always reach out to us on our social media accounts. You will find us under the name Equality in Business on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Looking forward to talking to you in a week and until then, stay healthy and safe.